The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Lynette's Shrimp House, located in Highland Park. It's Metro Detroit's premier destination, serving juicy fried shrimp, fish, and wings, alongside soul food sides and new additions to the menu, like turkey tacos and desserts. Located at 13548 Woodward in Highland Park, just north of the Davidson, Lynette's is open for takeaway, noon to 8, Tuesday and Thursday, noon to 10 p.m., Friday and Saturday, and noon to 5 p.m. on Sunday. Call now, get some Lynette's. Hey, greetings, everybody. Welcome to the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Very glad to have you with me today. And uh, I'm, I'm excited about today's program because we're going to talk about something that I like to talk about. And that, of course, is cars. Uh, I am always following trends in the automotive industry. I, I've owned a gazillion cars. I like them quite a bit. And anytime I see technological change that is worthy of discussion... Well, I want to do it, and uh, I'm very excited to have with me today Mark Phelan, who is an automotive journalist and columnist for the Detroit Free Press. He's joining me from Dallas today, where I believe he's doing something for for Toyota, but um, Toyota's going to be a subject for another day. They're a little late to the electric game, but we're going to talk electrics today. Mark, welcome to the program. It's a pleasure to have you here. It's great to be here. Thank you, Craig. Well, you know, I didn't get a chance to talk about this a couple of weeks ago when the big unveil happened, but I wanted to get to it now because we've had a couple of weeks to sort of let sink in what the introduction of the Ford F-150 Lightning means for the automotive industry. And and it's far from being just another electric vehicle. It seems to me that this is the one that has the most potential to sort of change people's minds about whether or not an electric is something they would consider. Uh, before we get into the specifics as to why I feel that way, I want to know if you agree with me. I think you're absolutely right. My my mail indicates exactly what you're talking about. For for the last few years, peop, a few people have been serious about considering electric vehicles. Everybody else talks about them like they, they're a weird new animal in the zoo. Now I'm getting many more people who think that they may actually be applicable to their lives. They're ready to start you know, thinking could I use one? How would I want to use one? What would it do for me? This feels like a, a potential inflection point for the technology. Well, and and I guess what it's also doing is opening people's eyes to the flexibility of this technology, which we will also talk about. But, you know, let's talk about this. You, you mentioned that people were not considering electrics. Well, I mean, for a long time, uh, it seems that electric vehicles were designed for those that were looking to make a statement rather than have a vehicle that met their needs. Yeah, very frequently. They, they looked a little bit like junior high science projects. <laughs> or or the old Hot Wheels we used to get, you know? Oh, God, I loved those. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, and and they, they tended to be small. They tend not to have a lot of the features people want because the emphasis was just proving the electric technology on its own could work. The the people who were making the, the vehicles weren't really trying to prove that it was a good vehicle in every other sense of the word. So they were really speaking primarily to the early adopters, the true believers, um, and, and the people who just wanted something different. And and again, th that's something different that was provided by, for the most part, you know, one or two companies. You, you had, of course, a Nissan with the Leaf, uh, GM with the Bolt, uh, but of course, Tesla dominated the space for a long time in terms of the attention and, frankly, the technological leaps that were being made for a few years. It, it certainly seems as if Ford is proven that it can play in that sandbox. It, it's very interesting. Ford, throughout its history, Ford has been a the classic fast follower. 
they, they figure out where the trend is, and then they jump in hard. And historically, they've been very good at it. I, I mean, you know, the, the, the Mustang was not the first small performance car, but it became the small performance car. Uh, they, they're very good at that. Um, what they have done, the, the phrase they like to use within the you know, company is democratizing technology. And all the way back to the Model T, which was the first car a normal person could afford, could expect to afford you know, over 100 years ago, they have done a very, very good job of being the company that is there with the right product when the technology and the price of something became applicable to, to a large number of people's lives. Uh, you know, let's talk about price for just a second. You mentioned the Model T. It certainly seems as if the F-150 is trying to follow in its footsteps by being the first electric vehicle that a typical truck buyer would be willing to pay for. Uh, the pricing on it is very, very aggressive because typically electrics have been priced above the market. Um, factoring in the tax credits that were available to, for them in many instances. Uh, but it certainly seems as if they want this to be an attractive vehicle price wise without that tax incentive. They, they really do. They, they, they want it to be easy for people to make the economic case for it. And, and, and in the case of the F-150, that's especially important because they sell huge numbers of them to business customers. And if you're a fleet buying manager, reliability and cost of ownership are the only two things that really matter to you. And, and the F-150 has always been a leader in both of those, which is why Ford is so strong in, in providing pickups and trucks to everything from gardening companies to, to you know, the, the local plumber to utilities. And, and they have found a way, they believe, to make the same pitch with the F-150, both to business customers you know, and, and to uh, uh, individual retail buyers like you or I might be. Well, and, and I mean, you know, one of the big leaps that we've seen too and just in the last couple of years is in in range and how far these vehicles can go without a charge range anxiety is still something that a lot of customers are concerned about although i have a whole bunch of people saying well i couldn't take it to california and i'm thinking to myself you would fly to california there's no way you're driving across country unless you're you know hooking up the camper and stuff like that for one of those once in a lifetime family trips most people are not going to be driving it that way 300-mile range, 250-mile range is going to be more than adequate for just about anybody's daily drive. A hundred percent. And and a relatively few people even do the long vacation drives that were common when you and I were kids, you know, down to Orlando in one shot or something like that. That's still out of the, out, out of the operating envelope you know, for electric vehicles. But in terms of almost everything you do every day, they have easily moved into the realm of practicality. The challenge for the F-150 where that's concerned will be that it is capable of towing vehicles. The electric is capable of towing you know, large loads. And there's a meaningful number of people in Michigan and other states that have got you know, recreation areas who on a weekend in the summer want to be able to take a boat or a camper to you know whatever their lake district is, you know Traverse City, you know let's say in Michigan, and you need to be able to get that far. That's probably the, the most critical difference in the use case for an F one fifty compared to most of the compute com, excuse me commuter cars that we see being used uh, as electrics every day around Detroit. Yeah, but you know one of the things that they did show with this is that one, it is capable of towing. Uh, I think I think this thing's capable of like up to sixty seven hundred pounds, which is is more than most trailers would be, uh, more than a lot of boats would be. Um, so it has the capability they're used to. But one of the things that I liked about it, Mark, is that the way that these things are built and designed, 
Uh, you've got more stability uh, because the weight is lower. The center of gravity is going to make it better for towing. Uh, two, you can design these vehicles any way that you want to with that flat bottom that they've got and no big motor in the front. It gives them a ton of options on what to do in terms of design and storage. A hundred percent. And that's one of the incredibly useful things about you know, the F-150 Lightning, which is the name they use for the electric version. The whole front trunk area that right now holds a big V8 and, and, and a transmission and all of that, it is open for storage. Um, it's 400 liters. That's 14 cubic feet, basically, as much as you got in the trunk of a decent-sized, mid-sized car. Plus, they've got power outlets. They've got lights in there, so it's easy for you to see stuff. I mean, it's tremendously uh, useful. Uh, and, and the new ways you can use vehicles are going to be part of what makes the case for a lot of people for electric vehicles so that even if there's you know an occasional trade-off in do I have to stop longer you know for fuel you know on the way to my you know cabin it more than makes up for it in the new conveniences and the new features that it offers you know at the same time the design of this was pretty restrained i mean you know they could have gone the way of uh, tesla's cybertruck and made something that looks completely different than anything else but it seems like familiarity was really important here in terms of unveiling this to the general public and and maybe getting a skeptical audience to take a second look very much so uh, they don't want to scare people off the f-150 people have an idea in their mind of what an f-150 looks like what an f-150 can do and they didn't want anything about the visual presence of this vehicle to raise questions about that also because they do have so many you know commercial uh, uh, users it was you know a practical necessity that the racks that you know a, a garden company you know may put in the bed of an f-150 today still fit in the new vehicle and, and there's you know, other you know, tools and, and work things that you might carry around in the interior still fit so the interior is almost unchanged, frankly, from a conventional F-150. And the bed is designed so that any piece that you can attach, any aftermarket uh, you know, tools or anything else that fits in an F-150 today will fit in the electric F-150. And that's going to really make it easier to make the case to a lot of customers. You know, I, I, see, for me, I'm, I'm thinking like, you know, a 50-something-year-old man here in terms of practicality and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, you do look at the excitement generated by the Teslas of the world and, and the amount of loyalty that that fan base seems to show to Elon Musk and that company. Um, did Ford play it too safe with this design um, or are they going to save that for some other types of vehicles? I, 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 don't, I think that they hit it exactly where it needed to be with this design. Um, I, I think that Tesla is, is an incredibly significant player. They, they have changed how the industry feels and, and behaves toward electric vehicles. And, and uh, th there's no denying that. But the idea that the F-150 is competing with the Tesla Cybertruck for sales, for sales, I think is a little bit off base. Um, th there are Tesla super fans, people who the vehicle they're buying into the idea of Elon Musk and SpaceX as much as they are the vehicle. And they, you're never going to get them out of a, a Tesla. And you'll never get them to consider an F-150 if there is a Tesla Cybertruck available. But if you look at the, if you look at the Cybertruck you know, with, with the eyes of, of a user, it's basically an electric El Camino. 
reasons that the El Camino doesn't exist anymore, it's because that formula is not particularly useful for practical purposes. So they will certainly sell a lot of them. But you know, Ford, General Motors, you know, uh, new startup companies like Rivian, they all understand that for electric vehicles to become the next big thing, they have to provide all of the same benefits that people assume in everyday use from current pickups and, and, and other vehicles. I, I think Ford you know, played it just right. There, there's time to be exciting uh, and far out with, with styling on, on other vehicles and in other price segments. This one, they just needed to set people's mind at ease. It's, it's an F-150. You can trust us on this one. Well, you know, I, I do want to talk about the speed with which they brought this thing to market. I mean, it's going to be for sale soon. They have working vehicles out on the road right now that people are testing. And and uh, this is fast. Tesla, in the meantime, has been struggling to get the Cybertruck out Their Their dates keep shifting as to when that's going to be ready. And I think and not to sound like a homer here, but one of the things we're seeing is the formidable skills that the big companies have when it comes to getting products to the market and getting them assembled uh, in the numbers that they're going to need. Uh, this may send a signal, I guess, to the rest of the world, whether it's Silicon Valley or anybody else, that Detroit's not to be trifled with when it comes to getting this right. Absolutely. I, I mean, the, the, the moral of the story is that it is hard to build things, and it's even hard to build hundreds of thousands or millions of them. Um, I mean, Tesla struggles mightily with every new vehicle that they build. You know, th their quality issues would get you know, Lexus or Toyota or GM or Ford or Ram laughed off the road, frankly. Um, but what they have accomplished is still amazing because they're doing it all you know, from, from the ground up as a new company. But the expertise, I, I, I was talking to a very experienced auto uh, executive who had moved into the field of electric vehicles a few years ago. And he said that what the startup companies don't realize is that when you are building huge numbers of things that have to last for a long time, it is a land battle and you win it one desk at a time. Every engineer you can put behind a desk is one step closer to succeeding. So institutional knowledge and just the volume of brain power that they can throw at these issues are hugely important. Oh, well, Mark, it also seems that one of the things that maybe some of the startups aren't considering um, is that when you start do start producing things at volume, uh, NHTSA, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, starts to really poke around. Um, and I think Tesla's going to have some issues on their hands. Consumer Reports is starting to go after them about this autopilot system um, and some of the other issues there. And that's not a level of scrutiny that computer manufacturers or iPhone makers, for instance, are usually typically ready for. Uh, this is a completely different level of regulation. Absolutely, and and justifiably so, because if your iPhone you know breaks, you you don't yeah, you know, and, and that is very possible if a self driving system does or somebody else dies. I mean, the 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 you know the stakes are incredibly high when you're building transportation, um, and it, it's going to be fascinating. Tesla has taken a lot of chances by using the computer development model of you know putting out a system that you're not quite sure about yet and asking your users to beta test it in the real world. <laughs> I, I can tell you right now, General Motors, Volkswagen, Ford would rather juggle chainsaws than do that. But Tesla has done it and thus far there has not been any you know real you know real detriment or cost to them. But we keep seeing you know it, it, 
some fairly gruesome accidents, you know, involving Teslas with their, you know, autopilot system uh, and closer scrutiny of it. You know, and, and as you point out, Consumer Reports has removed their you know, recommendation of some of the vehicles because of changes they made to their safety systems. So th- th- it remains a very open question as to how well Tesla's model of development works for for things like that, and you know, you know, for better or worse, you know, the, the automakers are sticking to the you know tried and true development process that you know uh, that that they rely on and that their lawyers insist on. <laughs> my, Mark Phelan of the Detroit Free Press, my guest right now. We're talking about uh, electric vehicles and and what is happening here, specifically specifically the F-150 Lightning and uh, how much of a leap forward this really is in terms of the public's perception of what an electric vehicle can be. Uh, for me, Mark, I'm still waiting for somebody to come up with a convertible that fits two sets of golf clubs and a frunk might make that possible. This is what I'm looking for. Um, and it's yes. just not, you know, I don't want to have to make compromises here. I want a convertible and I want to fit golf clubs in there. It seems <laughs> that this technology may allow that to actually happen. It, it, it opens up huge amounts of extra space. It, it really does. Um, and it's funny. I was thinking, well, you know, if you want a convertible with two sets of golf, you know, bags, get a golf cart. <laughs> But, but, one but that I can take, one that I can take on the freeway. <laughs> yes, but but seriously, one of the really interesting things about the demos Ford did of the uh, F one fifty Lightning uh, was have the one of the engineers just open up the 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 front trunk, and what was in there was two full size you know, standard golf bags with you know with with all of the clubs in place, and there was plenty of room for other stuff, and there was even underfloor storage. Uh, where you could put, uh, you know, chilled drinks uh, with a drain plug at the bottom of it. Uh, so practicality is a huge thing. The ability to use the batteries in the electric vehicle to power other things, I think, is going to be something that, that people find more uses for than they expect as well. That, that, that's you know something that people don't even have a, a mental framework to to think. How would I do that today? But if you look at things like you know the, the you know, disasters down in Texas earlier this year, power you know, in your house. There's an F-150 in Texas sold every you know 15 seconds, I think. Uh, and if every one of those owners had an F-150 Lightning that you know could power their house, you know, for three days, there would have been a lot of people who suffered less. Uh, you know, when, when the weather turned and their electric grid just wasn't set up to deal with it. Well, you know. <laughs> When you look at where we are, are are we just starting to scratch the surface as to what we can do design-wise with this? Because, again, part of it is getting people used to the technology and the idea that they're making the switch. And familiarity may be a really important part of that. But at some point, it seems like we're going to have to take a bigger leap. And, you know, design could go pretty much anywhere with with these new platforms. Very much so. I mean, you you no longer have the constraints of having to figure out how do you cool the engine? You know, where, where do you protect the gas tank? Where does the engine itself go? Um, it, it, it's, it, it's a blank slate of paper, sheet of paper uh, for, for designers, and they're going to love it when they are really cut loose to do everything they can with it. One other thing uh, to keep in mind also is that as advanced safety systems become better and more widespread, some of the safety engineering that we do now, the constraints for safety engineering will begin to diminish as well. So, you know, 10, 15 years from now, there's no telling 
what your designers will be able to do with, with you know all of the the new freedoms that they've got. But electric vehicles are going to be a huge enabler for that. Well, obviously, um, this is something that all the companies are looking at. Some have gotten into it slower than others, but you know, I saw a commercial from Volvo today that says this is why we're going to be all electric soon. Um, they're not going to offer any gas-powered vehicles anymore, especially since Scandinavia, uh, their their former home country, uh, basically is going to be banning gasoline-powered uh, sales pretty soon. Uh, so this is something that's going to be done, whether people are ready for it or not. Which companies are poised to actually have enough product offerings to make everybody happy? Oh, that's a great question. Volvo is a fascinating example, too, because their historic home in Scandinavia is big into electrics and their current corporate owners in China are the biggest engine driving electrics in the in the world because you know they, they need to for, for their own air quality. Um, looking at it right now, th- there are Chinese companies that there's, it, it's bubbling under the surface. We don't know how much they will have, how, how quickly. So it's hard to predict. Uh, in detail with them. But Volkswagen and, and General Motors have been the most uh, aggressive in their investment and in their product rollout plans. Um, I would say that among the volume brands, they are probably uh, the, the leaders at the moment. Uh, from a Detroit uh, you know, point, point of view, uh, Ford for a long time was getting hammered on its stock value because they seemed to, not seemed, they were lagging so, so far behind uh, the others. Um, they are now getting you know more credit you know f- for jumping in quickly. Um, we we have yet to see how fast they will turn over their fleet, and frankly, we don't know. It's possible VW and, and uh, GM have overestimated how quickly the you know, change will come. So you know, Ford is in kind of a middle you know, position at the moment. Um, if you had asked me a year ago, um, you know, Fiat Chrysler was no place. Uh, but one of the good things that came out of their merger with the uh, Peugeot Group. Uh, in Europe, is that uh, Peugeot has been quite aggressive in electric vehicles. So we should start seeing, we, we've already seen um, a, a very good plug-in hybrid version of the Jeep Wrangler that's on sale now. We will see more plug-ins from Jeep of other vehicles this year, and we should start seeing uh, meaningful uh, uh, impact uh, of electrics on the you know Chrysler Group, you know Jeep, Jeep and uh, Ram brands in, in particular uh, fairly soon. Um, Honda's uh, very serious about this. W- one of the the, the big outlier at the moment still seems to be Toyota. Um, they're very reluctant to talk about the shift to full electric vehicles, in part because they have such an incredibly strong position in hybrids, and they have an incredibly large investment in the technologies to make hybrids. So they right now still seem to be the biggest outlier among the leading automakers. And right now, I would say most people would put Volkswagen and GM as the most forward thinking and everybody else is someplace in between those. Well, I've got a friend with the new ID4 from Volkswagen sitting in their driveway right now. They love it. I've got another friend with the Mustang Mach-E in his driveway. He loves it. Um, You know, it's turning heads and it's getting people talking. And I guess that's the one thing that they've been lacking for a long time. And and I think the Ford F-150 Lightning is a big part of that. It's It's got people thinking differently for the first time in a long time. This isn't just for, you know, granola crunchers anymore. Absolutely. Uh, it, it's vehicles that everybody can relate to. And, and it's vehicles offering new benefits that you know, people will, will you know, find more useful as you know, they become aware of them, I think.
All right. Well, we'll have to leave it right there. Mark Phelan, we always appreciate talking to you. It's been a little while, and uh, hopefully we'll see you in person soon. Enjoy your time down in Texas. I'm sure it's 90 degrees, and, um, you know, I'm not uh, jealous of you there. So It's all of that. Absolutely. (laughs) Thank you so much, Greg. Have a great rest of your day. All right. Uh, This is the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Thanks, everybody, for listening to The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. I really do appreciate all of your support. Don't forget, if you like this podcast, it's important that you share it, that you rate this podcast, and that, of course, you subscribe to this podcast. It all helps. And the more sponsors we get, the more interviews we can do, the more shows I can put together. And I certainly do uh, want to make sure that you are enjoying what you're listening to. So if you have suggestions, you can reach out to me. The Craig Folly Show at gmail.com. Again, that's the Craig Folly Show at gmail.com. You can get through to me that way. It's very, very easy to do. And you can find me on LinkedIn, on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, on Snapchat, just about anywhere. In the meantime, I'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. The Craig Folly Show is made possible in part by Deadline Detroit. Deadline Detroit has some of the best journalists in the city. We're asking you to support independent local journalism by joining our $3 a month membership. By joining, you become eligible to win prizes, including tickets for sporting events and gift cards to some of Detroit's best restaurants. Just go to our website and click the ad at the top or go to www.deadlinedetroit.com membership.